up, nerds, and welcome back to another Angry Wargamer podcast. I'm Jason, the Angry Wargamer, and today we got everybody together. We got Drew and Orlando tonight. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> Way to bring down the hype, man. <laughs> hey, I was just trying to be suave, but all right. There you go. That way, then. <laughs> what have you been up to? You haven't been here for... A week, a week since I since I slept off on the podcast before. <laughs> Not exactly the most uh, proud of moments. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. Uh, yeah. Um, I just got me a new desktop. Arrived on Friday. Oh hell yeah! It runs way fucking faster than my older one. It's fucking beautiful. I love it. <laughs> nice. Fantastic. Uh, what about you, Drew? Anything new? Um, nothing major on my end, at least for the moment. Uh, don't have anything coming up, at least yet. Oh, maybe I should mention this. Uh, so, uh, one of the things that I've been wanting to do is voice acting, right? Yeah. And for randomly out of nowhere, uh, this, uh, one up-and-coming, uh, studio is, uh, Asked me to audition for, uh, uh, for a project they want to do. Hell yeah! I auditioned on that same night, and they uh, I got the role. Hell Apparently yeah! The main character of all fucking things. So uh, <laughs> there's nothing huge about it, but uh, you know, I'll let you know on the details as it goes down. But I'm excited. It would be my first official role. Fantastic. Yeah, keep us in, keep us informed. Let everybody know. I will do that. Um, so we got some big ass topics that we rolled over from last week. Since me and Drew wanted to nerd out about Star Wars and shit all over Ben Affleck last week. Um, <laughs> at least I wanted to shit all over Ben Affleck, <laughs> and not in a sexual way. <laughs> Dirty, dirty, dirty. So uh, with the, some of the big news that we missed, uh, or not really missed, but we can definitely go into is going to let's start with Blizzard because Blizzard done fucked up for the eight billionth fucking majillionth time. So. Uh, Blizzard has been laying people off and then decided to give their CEO like a multi-million dollar, right? Multi-million? Yeah, $200 million, uh, $200 million payout. Almost $200 million payout. So, if anybody has been following us and listening to us, we don't like Blizzard's business practices, even though we still like some of their games, like Diablo, I think, is really the only one that we still like at this point. Um. Oh, so this story broke. Um, this is actually a Kotaku article, but it's got some weird ties to it. So I'm going to read this article. This is Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick routinely gets million dollars in stock bonuses every year based on how the company is doing. Now he's getting even more for a total payout of nearly two hundred million dollars, according to CTW Investment Group. Um, a union 
pension and fund advocacy organization. All right, let me explain CTW to you. So CTW is like the big group that takes care of all the pension funds for a lot of unions, uh, mostly Teamsters. Like um, the Teamsters and CTW do come out uh, whenever you see someone talk about legislation related to the pension funds. Um, so let me stop and read their mission statement. Uh, the CTW investment group holds directors accountable uh, for irresponsible and unethical corporate behavior and excess executive pay. If you guys don't know anything about executive pay, like right now, the United States has the highest executive pay to um, worker ratio. Like the executive makes almost 200. Is it I think 200 times more or I could be wrong, maybe closer to 2000 times more. Some shit like it's a big number more than the average worker in the United States. So when they get big ass bonuses, like $12 million bonuses for uh, shit that they do, um, you know, for the money that they make off of the workers that they have, it's kind of a big deal. And this company is likes to expose a lot of the a lot of the shitty behavior that goes on. So founded in February 2006, the CTW Investment Group works with pension funds sponsored by unions affiliated with uh, Change to Win, a federation of unions representing nearly 5 million members to enhance long-term shareholder returns through through active ownership. Members of CTW affiliates participate in Taft Hartley plans with over $250 billion in assets. So that's just a little bit of background. They have a whole mission statement you can find at ctwinvestmentgroup.com. Um, if you want, if you're more curious in what they do and who they are, you can read the rest of their mission statement. But that's the basics you need to know for this article, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> so, all right. Um, let's get back to this. So, and it's thanks to, thanks to the clause in his contract that, recently triggered the company's strong stock performance throughout the pandemic. Now, if you've been living under a rock or you're an agoraphobe and you have no idea that the pandemic is going on, then you wouldn't know that almost everything has gone online and game sales, gaming in general, and um, people playing more games has gone through the roof this year. So... Right. And e-commerce wise, too. So a lot of people are doing their shopping and stuff online. So these companies have like mega profit. In fact, Amazon, Jeff Bezos is set to be the first trillionaire if things keep going in the same trajectory as they did last year um, at the start of the pandemic. Jeff Bezos stepped down, though, so it's not him who would be the, the trillionaire at this point. He still fucking owns the company. Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> He's making a shit ton of money. So as the Call of Duty uh, maker CEO, Kotick gets bonuses based on helping the... Oh, this is for Activision, but, you know, Activision Blizzard or something. The company hit profit targets and other milestones, and because 2020 saw Activision Blizzard stock price jump dramatically as millions turned to games to distract themselves during the pandemic... He's on track to collect all of the incentive bonus he missed in recent years, in addition to tens of millions he's already earned annually due to a shareholder value creation incentive clause in his contract. 
In March of 2016, the company stock price was around $32 a share. By last March, it was it had climbed to $56 a share. Um, and in the year since the pandemic began, it only climbed higher, peaking at over $100 at one point last month before settling back down to just under $92. Because the stock has remained over double what it was when uh, Codex 2016 employment agreement went into effect for over 90 days, the shareholder value creation incentive provisions was triggered earlier this month on March 1st, 2021. The performance conditions of the four-year performance period from 1-1-2017 through 12-31-20 underlying these performance stock uh, unit awards were achieved at the maximum level, uh, Activision Blizzard's most recent SEC filing. So yeah, this motherfucker is making tens of millions of dollars and at the same time, they are laying off more employees. So I'm not going to read the rest of that article because that's just talking about his money and we've kind of got the gist of it at this point, right? Yeah, basically, he's one of the most overpaid CEOs in the fucking world, let alone in the U.S. But hey, as long as his fucking shareholders are happy, that's all that matters, right? Right. Right? Exactly. And not only that, but a couple days after that article was posted, another article came out where they're, um, the report, and this one's from, this is not Kotaku. Is it Kotaku? Oh, I guess this one's Kotaku. This, they're both Kotaku. Go figure. Uh, report more than, um, more layoffs loom as Activision Blizzard moves to close its European publishing offices. So they're closing a whole section of the world. <laughs> just to make more money when they're already making record profits. This is why the world needs unions, my friend. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no other way to explain this. There isn't. Actually, I think I would more investigate their fucking practices at this point, because if you're shutting off an entire regional division while you're quote-unquote making record profits... I think there, I think there's bigger problems than simply laying off workers. I think this is more on the maybe they don't have nearly as much money as you think they are, and they're losing it all to the fuck to their fucking uh, um, uh, shareholders. So the European publishing offices. Um, this article is a little bit more. It covers the same kind of stuff, but let me read you. Sorry, some of these. So Activision Blizzard is planning to close its publishing offices in Europe and lay off even more employees in the process, according to a new report by GameIndustry.biz. In a statement provided by GameIndustry.biz, an Activision rep uh, explained that more uh, that the move comes as a result of players increasingly choosing to connect with our games digitally. We have shared plans with our team in Europe uh, for, for how... We would evolve as a company, as an organization, adapting to the change to serve our players the best positioning the region for further growth. The statement continues, we will be taking extensive steps to support all employees and ease the transition for those of our colleagues who might be impacted by these proposed changes. This goes into him making a ton of money again. Okay, this is the latest round of several uh, round of layoffs impacting Activision Blizzard staff over the last two years. In February 2019, the publisher announced it would be reducing its workforce by 8%. 
uh, or an estimated 800 people. Later that year, restructuring saw the loss of over 200 more jobs. In 2020, the corporation closed its offices in Versailles, France. And then earlier this week, more uh, made drastic cuts to its esports esports staff. That was from the other article. That's what they were cutting, and that's how you found out they were making 200 million. This hasn't stopped executives from getting uh, from gloating about the personal and personally benefiting from Activision Blizzard's recent growth as a as even as employees protested pay inequality. CEO Bobby Kotick is uh, is even slated to receive a 200 million dollar bonus for publishers' performance throughout the pandemic, while the workers who are actually to thank for Activision Blizzard's success are discarded with $200 Battle.net gift cards. Oh, great. We're, we're fucking firing you, but here, have a fucking <laughs> gift card so that you can just put it back into our fucking wallets, you beat me. Yeah. <laughs> you're not giving them anything. Oh, you're giving them in-game credit. <laughs> oh. oh, God, that is the ultimate bullshit right there, man. That is fucking bullshit. As is often the case, these uh, these and previous layoffs weren't necessary. Activision Blizzard leadership could have easily taken pay cuts or, at the very least, declined bonuses in favor of contributing to the paychecks of these now jobless workers. But in the unrelenting mill of capitalism, CEOs and their ilk are always the ones turning the wheel, happy to let hundreds and thousands of people suffering as uh what the hell? I don't even know what that word is. Grist? If it means they get their bread. So yeah, they <laughs> they're giving out $200 of Battle.net gift cards. I kind of want to click to see where that one goes. Is this like an actual like did they actually like come out and say this? I believe they did. <laughs> Fucking disgusting. <laughs> There's no real other ways about oh, it. It's fucking disgusting. So they were given 90 days severance health and benefits for <clears throat> a year. A minimum of 90 days severance and health and benefits for a year, as well as job transition support. They were also given $200 gift cards to battle, <laughs> battle.net, the Blizzard online gaming service. <laughs> Dude, does Blizzard just fucking hate themselves? Like, how does... How are you going to give $200 gift cards to the people you just fired that have to try to figure out how to feed their families after 90 days? It wouldn't even be that bad if it was like $200 to like something like Walmart or something. No, $200 that you can spend back at our company. Bitch, I got shit. Oh my I got worse fucking God. bitch to worry about than spending $200 of your in-game credit back to you. You pieces of shit. This is fucking terrible. And the worst part is, is they literally didn't have to fire anybody. They had to fire nobody. $200 million in bonuses. They said they fired, what, a total of 1,200 people over the last two years? Dude, 1,200 people with $200 million? You Like, what's the math on that? Hold on. So 200 million divided by 1200 people. That's like 170,000 a year that they could have been paying people instead. But no, no, they didn't do that. 
Instead, you yeah. get 90 days to figure out how to get food, a $200 battle net card, and your health benefits for a year, which I guess is a big thing. A gift card is like the biggest piss in the bucket ever, man. Well, yeah, it's just a gift card. You're not even, okay, you're not giving them anything. You're literally just allowing them to buy your own games. You're just giving your games away to your employees for free, which you were probably That's already doing to begin with. I don't know. I like I, I've I've never had a severance package based job where I where that kind of shit happen. Is ninety days good or bad? Like genuinely, I have no fucking I think, clue. I think ninety days is about the standard. So, um, it's, it's, it's the bare minimum. Yeah, they give you. Yeah, it says a minimum of ninety days. So it could be more that they give you, but um, I think the minimum is like ninety. Not well, not company wise, but like standard wise. I want to say. Cause I knew somebody that uh, worked at like a restaurant that got 90 days and then she had to go on unemployment after that. But it's like, uh, like you're getting your full salary for 90 days, which they could cut by the way. It's not like something like they don't have to give you your full amount. I don't know how the law works on that or whatever, but um, yeah, I, it's, it's as far as I know, severance is supposed to be your full salary for the full 90 days. Now, obviously, the after after with uh, unemployment, I don't know what the regional rules on that is, because, again, the 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 uh, the axe was being dropped on on different regions. So every region's got their own rules on unemployment and all that other stuff. Right. And this is actually but, European. Like, so if, if. Yeah, I have no idea. Their rules on labor is completely fucking different from us. So I you, you got me, dude. Surprisingly enough, they have a lot better like labor union like support out there, which is fucking amazing but i mean if you had if you had union people at that place like there's they couldn't just randomly lay people off and if they did lay them off they'd have to find them new jobs so it'd be more beneficial to pay the continue paying those people like oh it's it's just shitty shitty practices all around that's all i gotta say indeed absolutely there's no excuse for this it is absolute complete bullshit oh 100 percent so fuck blizzard <sighs> now i don't even know if i want to buy their game like you know i'm i don't know i don't know we'll see when it comes down to it we'll see how i feel <sighs> honestly i'd say i'd say wait and see anyways because with everything that happened with warcraft reforged or, or uh, warcraft 3 reforged i don't know like the like i have no i have no I have no faith in what's coming if they when they re- relaunch Diablo two. Yeah, that's really like that's the hardest part is with all the people that have been having issues lately with releasing games after announcing them early. Who knows what the fuck's going to happen at this point? I think we just need to make a, a blanket statement going forward. If you aren't fucking a hundred percent, or at the very least within the ninety five percentile range of your uh, of certainty that your game is going to be playable by the time you are supposed to be fucking releasing it, then don't fucking release it. I know right. sounds fucking obvious when you think about it, right. but clearly these <laughs> fucking companies are creating these goddamn deadlines and they cannot fucking, they can't acquiesce to their own fucking rules that they've set. So don't under promise over deliver. It's a fucking rule in business. And clearly none of these people have pulled their heads directly from their asses to be able to fucking parts that out what i think they're doing though is i think they're trying to just capitalize on the explosive growth that they had over the last year 
No, yeah, that shit for the past decade and a half. Yeah, but I think it's gotten worse now. It's just it's getting exposed now. I should say. Yes. Yeah. It hasn't been. It hasn't necessarily gotten worse. Simply more that it's getting more coverage now than ever before. Yes, I agree, Orlando. Especially when you have an explosive growth that you have revealed to everyone, it usually gets pretty infected too. And that's the way I'm looking at this kind of growth right now. It's gone from positive growth to a stagnation to a fucking infection. And yep. the fucked up part is, is like this early, this early beta bullshit that they've been doing to circumvent the need to have a complete game on the front side. If your games are so goddamn elaborate that you cannot conceive of putting them out on a time frame that is functional for especially the current platforms that you keep louting you're going to be putting them on they don't fucking release them on that the cyberpunk debacle was a fucking headache for anybody who had a ps4 and they knew they were making it for the ps5 why in the fuck did they waste their time at, at all with the ps4 at all or the xbox one if it was going on the newer system, only put it on the newer systems. If you failed because the scalpers all bought the PS5s and the and the serieses, good for you. I hope you fucking I hope you fucking choke on it and all of your fucking empty promises. I mean, Sorry. they had they had their out a couple weeks ago, or not was it a couple weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago, where we talked about them getting hacked. Like they have their out. They don't have to produce anything for Cyberpunk anymore. CD Projekt Red might have actually like benefited from being hacked. So, oh, I'm I'm assuming it was an inside job. I don't think they I don't think they got hacked. I think that was the excuse they were giving people so they could take the fucking heat off of their head. That yeah. this was basically them going, "Here, you want cyberpunk shit?" And then they put a gun to a fucking bunny's head and be like, "I swear to God, I'll pull the fucking trigger." Yeah, and that's literally <laughs> what they basically threatened. They basically said, "Oh, it'd be a shame if all of your data got out." And, Look at all these people who bought our game and got suckered into our fucking uh, into our fucking uh, our seashell game. I'm sorry, you got a shitty game and a fucking hat, lackluster Keanu Reeves fucking phone in. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, and you wanted all that open world shit, and we told you and made all these empty promises. Well, that's what you get from going uh, get going forward. <laughs> Buy all I, indie games. That's my fucking suggestion. AAA is a dead industry, and I hope they all fucking choke on it. I, mean, I haven't seen a tactic that fucking disgusting since Chibi Robo Ziplash, and that was on a <laughs> more, far more obscure fucking series. Well, uh, this might be the last fucking time we be, be we can take a chance on Chibi Robo. Oh uh, yes, please go right ahead and do that while you make a fucking game with a fucking genre style that has nothing to do with the original concept of the game to begin with, and market it to players who don't want it in the fucking first place when it's oversat in the same <laughs> genre being oversaturated in the fucking consoles that it's being released on. These people clearly nice. just want to be fucking innovators and make whatever the fuck that they want, not realizing that it's a 50-50 split between your own innovations and what your customers want. Hence why every goddamn Mario, uh, Paper Mario game has been a goddamn headache for anybody to play. Uh, like, like, why the fuck is an indie game doing Mario, uh, Mar Paper Mario better than fucking Nintendo? How? Why? Why? Ironically, Intelligent Systems isn't being very intelligent with their game design. My only, the only thing that I can say about Modern Paper Mario, if we have to bring this up again, is that it's going to the route of Sonic the Hedgehog. It's just trying to throw every fucking genre at the wall and see what sticks. And even if whatever decides even works even by a hand, they just throw it back at the fucking wall and start all over and just, like, just pick a fucking style 
and work with it. You have even if you ha- even if you make one, a game that isn't a classic RPG like the first two games, and it happens to work really well with the fan base. If you don't give it any fucking time for it to mature, then you're not gonna you're not gonna have a fan base strong enough to support the next the, the next uh, entries. For fuck's sake, the first two games were only that. Two games before you dumped the original um, uh, gameplay mechanics out the window. Yeah, this constant need to over-innovate become kind of a headache. And it, it, it and I've said it before, it feels like Nintendo responds to fan requests with this piss and vitriol that just I don't fucking understand. It's like, well, we want something like Thousand Year Door. Well, how about we make it so that you have stickers? Uh, how about we play with Thousand Year Door mechanics? Oh, so you guys want us to do some more stuff with uh, decals and, and paint? No, we'd really like something like Thousand Year Door. Indie title game comes out. Well, we've given you your Thousand Year Door game. Sorry, Nintendo didn't help you. Meanwhile, Nintendo was making fucking origami in the goddamn corner. No one goddamn asked them to do it. This is the problem with the company. It's and very cool. hit or miss when it comes to the shit that they innovate. It's like, yeah, it's really but, interesting. But, but it's uh, funny because re-releasing Skyward Sword with regular fucking controls because no one gave a fuck about your motion controls. Well, yep. the weird thing about Nintendo is, is they're the only company that full on supports indie games. I would dispute that because I mean, Steam's been pretty fucking prevalent with indie titles. Well, uh, I'm talking about consoles. I'm not talking about pretty good with that. Remember, one of the things that made the Switch PlayStation so fucking lucrative was how Nintendo used to carefully uh, allow which games to be on on the console, including indies. And now it's becoming similar to that of Steam, where it's just essentially a huge dogpile cesspool of in, of mediocre indie titles. I don't know. There's a lot of indie titles on the Switch. A lot of good indie titles on the Switch. They're the and only, but they're the only ones that really well. have. That's the, that's the whole point. Like they, it, it's fine to support indie titles, but you know, support the ones that are worth a damn, and not just simply let everything fall in. Yeah, I could, I could agree with that. That was that was something that Nintendo was, you know, giving credit for back at the Switch's launch, where they would just do their best to pick. No, to pick and choose which indie titles but at would that go point, to console. But at that and, point, they had an image to uphold. Now they already have the image, and nothing can tarnish it. And that's a problem. That is a problem. Well, I mean, it's Nintendo. Because they're going <laughs> to fall. They're going to have the same problem that Sony had when they were uh, up in the fucking higher echelons during the PS4 era. It's it's literally them going to be like, well, we can do whatever we want because we're top dog. It's like, really, you got to eat some of that humble pie so you don't fucking choke on your goddamn pride. And it's because not like that's that major headaches. And it's not like that hasn't happened with Nintendo either. That's happened multiple right. times. After after the <laughs> Super you? Nintendo, the N sixty four and the GameCube hit that motherfucker hard. After the Wii went up, the Wii U ended up being a shitstorm for Nintendo. Yep. It's not something that hasn't happened to Nintendo. It's clearly something that they should have learned by now. Don't get fucking cocky when you're at the top, but they don't seem to want to learn. Well, how many times have we said it, though? Nintendo doesn't care about what anybody else is doing. 
They only that's... want they only want to compete with themselves. So when you're when you're only competing with yourself, you're only looking at yourself. They don't really care what Nintendo, PlayStation Nintendo, or Xbox does. Nintendo doesn't compete itself now because most people don't even see Nintendo as competition. But back in the day, Nintendo was the only competition. Agreed. Especially when you compared it to the other to the relevancy of the other developers at the time. And they got cocky, and what did they? And what happened as a result? Fucking Sony PlayStation rose up, or if you want to go earlier, Sega rose up to the challenge. It, it's, it's arrogance created its competition. Dreamcast killed Sega. I feel. No, the Dreamcast didn't kill Sega. I would argue that was the Saturn, but more, oh, yeah, but yeah, more than anything, right. it was the PS2 <laughs> that ended up destroying. Uh, the Dreamcast because PS2 this... killed everybody. PS2 took everybody out of the market. <laughs> yeah, but it was the one thing it it was the one thing that was being compared to uh, the Dreamcast because it was just simply more effective and more convenient than than the uh, Dreamcast ever was. Yeah, I feel like so as far as like console launches go, I think Dreamcast is very comparable to what the Wii U was. Like it should have been better than what it was. It it's it, it's actually underrated. It just the problem was is that there was simply better hardware and better games on other consoles than the yeah. Dreamcast. Okay. Which ended up killing which ended up uh, forcing Sega out of the console market. And while luckily it that didn't happen with Nintendo, it was clear that despite the Wii, and I love. Let's get this. I love the Wii U. Yeah, I like mine too. I got mine towards the end of the its life cycle, though. But I, got I really it, enjoyed. I got mine. it right around 2014, 2015. Um, but yeah, I love the Wii U. But I will acknowledge that it was a failed console, and one of the reasons for it was because it tried it. It they were still trying to milk in the. Uh, all the goodwill that it had garnered from the Wii, which was already on a downhill from there, because the uh, the the adoration for the the motion control gimmick was long dead. Yeah. Yeah, but you needed to have the Wii U to get to the Switch. That's the way I see it. I don't it's know. only seen that way in hindsight. Oh, but had they done better with the Wii U, you probably wouldn't have needed something like the Switch. Honestly, if you really think about it, the only thing the Switch got that the Wii U and the Wii built in was the Joy-Cons. Everything else is mostly 3DS. That's just my opinion. Because honestly, the Switch, if you really break it down, the Switch is the evolution of what the 3DS was. I mean, you could argue that it's a combination of both, but... Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It took parts from what the the Wii was, and it took parts from what the 3DS was. But it's, as far as handhelds go, like, it's definitely the last evolution of the 3DS. It's the mega evolution of the 3DS. <laughs> anyway, let's get off of Nintendo, because as much as I like to ride Nintendo's dick, that's not what we're here to talk about today. 
We weren't. <laughs> we weren't. We're more like bitch slapping the shit out of it because everybody gets a taste of the bitch pudding. Yeah, at least today it does. Well, okay, so speaking of failed system, not failed systems, but systems that are no longer getting any support, there are rumors. Let's move into the Sony realm. Let's go into Sony now. So um, they're closing down the PS store um, and the PS or the PS store for the PSP, the Vita and the PS3. So you won't be able to find allegedly. allegedly. So you won't be able to download those games. And as if I remember correctly, the PS4, the way they do it with the PS4 is Okay, so when PS4 came out, PS3, the only way you could access the PS3 store was on a PS3. The same way they're doing it with the PS4 now. The only way you can access the PS4 store is on the PS4, which is actually kind of a lie, because when we did talk about that, you can still download PS4 games through the app um, and get them that way. But I have a feeling that's because of the sales with the PS5. So I think Sony realizes there's something going on. Um, and hasn't completely cut off support for the PS4 yet through the app, like they said they were going to. I think it's a bit too early for them to do it anyway, considering oh. how young the PS5 is. 100% agree. But remember, they sent out that email saying that you could only download those games from the system itself. That's the email that I got. So, but that's just the rumors. So, if they, I mean, if they do that, the Vita... There's a lot of people that like their Vitas. I, I don't know. I think the Vita, even the PSP, I think they're both kind of garbage handhelds. That's just my opinion, though. It's a niche cult, cult, cult uh, item, so you ain't going to hear me argue. Right. And this is going for someone who owns both of them. But, I, I mean, at this point, like... The Vita was supposed to cover the span of PS3 and PS4. We're now in the PS5 era. So technically, we they don't even need, they shouldn't even have to carry that on. And I didn't even realize the PSP store was even still open at this point. And as far as the PS3 is concerned, why in the great tumbling fuck is that still open? Unless they're trying to, you know, beat Nintendo with keeping the Wii shop open up until 20, what was it, 2019? <laughs> no, there's a lot of people that only had PS3s. So like just like the PS4 though, like they'll probably phase out the PS4 towards the end of the PS5 life cycle. Cuz there's a lot of people that don't jump in until like towards the end or the consoles go on sale. So I could see that, but honestly like if you own a PS3 and you're trying to play games, you're not buying them digitally off the store. You're going to buy them from an actual store and play them that way cuz they're going to be even more dirt cheap at that point. Pretty much. The, the, now the digital offerings obviously like the indie titles and stuff i get it i mean that kind of sucks for people if you didn't already have them downloaded i mean sucks to be you right yeah unfortunately there's going to be lots of indie titles that will be lost upon the shutdown of the server so i mean it's a shame but not everyone's going to have the money to buy literally everything in the fucking server let alone have the memory to have it all on the same on one console yeah yeah so it is unfortunate but it's just for me it's more on the this is why we need more physical uh media rather than digital well that's the see that's the problem because it's definitely moving digital so i mean it's inevitable that it has to it's an inevitability 
given given how we're uh, given how we're uh, advancing our tech, but it's it's just me being on the. We really, really should do better to try and release physical media of our of the shit we want because the inevitability of losing these things for good gets what's that, that much greater. What's that company that releases the hard copies for the Switch? Do you remember, Drew? There's somebody that releases physical copies of the games for the Switch. Are you talking about limited run games? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Limited run games, special reserves. Uh, there's a couple of different companies that do physicals. Yeah. So, oh. I don't know. I think that's a... Uh, People should look more into those companies, or those companies should more expand a little bit more, maybe, and get some of that stuff. Lando, you had something to talk about with Sony. What you got, brother? Well, this is on a topic that we've discussed a while back, but you know how uh, Sony has been essentially acquiring uh, bits and pieces of the anime industry. I mean, a few years ago, they uh, acquired Funimation, and now they were supposed to be on the depths of uh, acquiring uh, Crunchyroll, which people have been calculating that if uh, if they successfully do so, they would have ninety percent of the an- of the Western anime market in their fingertips. Do they own 90%. Funimation? They own Funimation. Yes, they've owned it for the past three years. Yeah, I forgot about that. So that actually makes sense then. Yeah, and. People were saying that they had ju- they had already bought it, but that was a few I th- months ago. I literally it thought they did. <laughs> no, that was it. Like that was the thing. It did happen, but the essentially the the action was tr- uh, the transaction was canceled essentially because the U.S. government is getting involved because they've realized this is a monopoly. This, yeah, this is essentially a monopoly in the mo- in the grossest way. So that is crazy. They're currently under investigation right now. So did you know Crunchyroll has a free version? You could watch anime for free, but they have like crazy ads. That's the whole point. You either watch it, you either watch it at a premium without ads or you watch it for free and you're bombarded with ads left and right. Dude, I tried to watch. You're also not allowed to watch uh, an, an entire series. You're only allowed to watch like, the first four or five episodes of a series before you are required to buy the uh, uh, the premium of uh, the membership. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. That's at least that's how I remember it when I used to when I used to do it for free, and now now I have a premium membership. I've I had that for. Like I was gonna buy now. a premium membership, so I do, I remember that um, we were talking about like Gundams, like on, um, I was talking about Gundams with some people. And I like it brought back some nostalgia of like Zoids and stuff, but I, it come it came to my attention that the only Gundam anime I ever watched was Mobile Fighter G, and because it was on Cartoon Network at the time or like Toonami back in the day, it was like right before Zoids showed up. So I was like, man, I really want to go back and watch that. I hate subtitles. I will only watch a few animes in subtitles, but I generally dislike subtitles. And they do not have the dubbed version on Crunchyroll, so no, I was like, "Most of, unfortunately, despite their advertising, only very few anime they have is available in dub. I know one of them is Toradora, 
And that's the only one that I know of that actually has both the English dub and the Japanese sub. But they English dubbed Gundam Fighter G because I remember watching it in English on TV. Anyway, yes, but so... it doesn't mean they have. It doesn't mean they have rights to it. Oh, see, that's bullshit. Anyway, so um, I tried to watch that. So I'm like, fuck it, I will watch it with the subtitles. I've watched six fucking ads before the first ten minutes of the fucking half hour episode. I was pissed. I was like, I'm not fucking signing up for this shit. I ended up deleting the app. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I was like. It's not that important. <laughs> that that's why you have that's why they try to get you to do the premium. Ugh. Because if you buy it then you won't have to worry about it. And to be fair, there Crunchyroll has a lot of great anime for you to watch. Oh, I know. So it's yeah. almost to me it was worth it. I mean, I got to watch Full Metal Panic Invisible Victory. I fucking love Full Metal Panic. Have and you watched that new Invis- that newer anime with the insect. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I saw an ad for it and I watched the first episode because they offered it for free on, I think, uh, YouTube. And it's this this fucking like bug alien thing infects this guy at like a high school and he ends up turning into like some like God because he can control it, but it only infected his hand. It didn't infect the rest of his body. Paris. Oh, oh, no, no, no. That's not new. That, that's not that's, new. No, that anime is like five, six years old. Well, it's new to me. I, so I remember talking. I remember hearing about that. Uh, but yeah, it's really fucking twisted. That anime. I haven't seen it, but uh, I've seen clips of it. It's really fucked up. It's quite the thriller. Yeah, I. But that's the only place I can watch it. So I might actually have to get it. But uh, I just finished My Hero Academia and. My kid is like halfway through One Piece, <laughs> and we're just watching it through Hulu. So, <laughs> I mean, you know what, you watch, what you know, what you should watch what redo of Healer. Redo of Healer. That shit's getting popular right now. Where's it's that? It's also at? gory as fuck too. <laughs> Dude, I got I, I got to give that a shot. Have you guys watched like Baki and those other ones? Oh, Baki's a classic. I love Baki. Baki's so good. If you're into gory anime, dude, I recommend Drifters. Drifters? Honestly, I'm it just is. into anime. I'm into, like, twisted anime altogether, to be honest. I was well, actually... I recommend it. It's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a historical fantasy twist mix of uh, where it starts off um, in, the, in the Battle of Sekigahara in 1600, and one of the sol- one of the soldiers gets teleported after he dies to well technically it's an isekai if you think about it but you it, he gets teleported to this random fantasy world where he finds himself with other historical figures throughout history including hmm. like Joan of Arc and shit it hmm. gets real fucking crazy real gory it's something i recommend wholeheartedly nice I almost started watching Tokyo Ghoul. Someone like I keep seeing it everywhere. It's a good one. I recommend that one too. It's also bloody and gory. All right. Well, then I will do that. I actually uh, was it Kageguri, the one with the the school where they're like everybody gets off on gambling. That one was really good. You know what I'm talking about? I. Ah. Uh, <laughs> 
there's a school and then like the whole hierarchy of schools about how much money you have, but you have to gamble every day. <laughs> nah, I, I've never heard of that. That one, it's seriously twisted. They actually made a live action and the live actions on Netflix. Live action's not as good, but, um, yeah, it's, oh, it's weird. <laughs> anyway. All right. So let's keep moving into Sony. <laughs> Sorry to get derailed. This is what happened last time with me and Drew. We were talking about movies the whole time, and then we <laughs> we got derailed. And we had to like squeeze in fucking random Strixhaven at the end. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, anyway, so uh, more Sony news. Actually, actually, Sony slash Nintendo news is that um, PlayStation bought Evo Fighting Game Championship Series. And announces the 2021 event dates. So Evo, if you don't know what it is, is one of the biggest fighting game uh, tournaments like in the world, usually done in Vegas. Last year was the first time they ever had to cancel the tournament, and they didn't even cancel it. They moved it to online. Now that Sony has bought it, Sony is actually moving this year to an online format also, which is causing more controversy because... Uh, there's a lot of cheating going on lately, and Sony says for Evo they're going to be using PC, which allows for more cheating and stuff like that. So right now everyone's trying to figure out how this is going to work, how Evo is going to work, whatever. The thing with Evo, though, is that they had a bunch of smaller games that you wouldn't, you wouldn't normally see at big tournaments, and they supported it because it was literally just fighting games. So you would have side version side games of Street Fighter 4, uh, even Street Fighter 2. Um, you'd have side rooms of like Skullgirls and just like pick a pick a Blaze Blue uh, Blue Cross tag. Um, what else would you see there? You'd see a bunch of like um, Capcom versus Marvel. You'd see a lot of games there that normally don't get like aren't like new gen console type games. So um, everyone's confused or worried about what's going to be there. There has been new games that have been released in the last couple of years, new games getting released this year. Um, there's a lot of questions in the air right now that Sony hasn't answered, but one question has been answered and it has been by smash ultimate. That is usually at this tournament and Nintendo has responded to PlayStation buying Evo. So, as of 3-18-21, oh, we should do our date today. How about that? March 27th. So, we're within like a week of this. Uh, Nintendo has provided a statement regarding Sony's acquisition of the Evolution Championship Series. Nintendo has enjoyed engaging with fans at past Evo tournaments and wish to show organizers the best with their new venture. We will continue to assess Evo and other opportunities as we plan for future online and offline Smash Bros. tournament activity, a spokesman for Nintendo said. It sounds like Nintendo's pulling Smash Brothers from the Sony tournament. <laughs> so. Nintendo's back at it again with uh, canceling their games from tournaments. Obviously, it makes sense because it's Sony. And Nintendo doesn't have a real good relationship with Sony, so there's no reason for them to keep the game there, especially when they've been talking about for the last couple years of running their own online tournaments or their own 
physical tournaments. I mean, that's not really controversial. That's kind of what you get from it. But the important thing is, is that Evo had, uh, there was a guy that was caught, um, either sexually harassing or was it underage? I can't remember. Wait, what? One of the, the one of the CEOs, uh, or the top people of Evo got when the whole call out thing happened last year over the summer, he was one of them. Yeah. He sexually, he sexually harassed, uh, no, well, technically it was a sexual assault and it was a minor. It was a minor. And okay. He, and he, and he did admit to it, which is why they essentially fired him. Yeah. So they removed him. They, they removed him from the company and they actually reiterated the fact that he was removed from the company after this sale. Here's where it kind of gets sketchy because the people who've been going to the tournament have been really the ones that built this tournament up to what it is now because fighting games is really a grassroots kind of movement. So there's a lot of people that feel burned that somebody else profited off the work of the community. See why they feel that way. Yeah, I mean, I would too. But in all essence, like they weren't the ones putting their, you know, their necks out on the line or whatever. So... I can see why they feel that way. Some people are like, let's just wait and see what happens. But a lot of few people feel burned by, um, I don't, does it even say how much they sold for or how much they got bought for? I doubt it. Cause it's one company buying another private company. Yeah, nah, it doesn't say so, but somebody made a profit off of this and I'm assuming Sony paid a pretty good price to get Evo because Evo is a big name. So it would be nice to be, to be able to see those financials, but I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm one of those people that are just like, let's wait and see <laughs> what happens. <laughs> I don't feel like, I don't feel like Sony could really screw it up though. The only thing I can see is that because it's online, a lot of those older games are not going to be there and they're going to focus more on stuff that plays on, you know, their platforms. Which I does Sony have Samurai Showdown? Yeah, Samurai Showdown's across the board. There really isn't um the only the only game that has a exclusivity is uh Xbox's game, which is what Killer Instinct. I think Killer Instinct is the only one that has a a platform. Well that's, well, that's owned by Rare. There's and guess who owns that? So clearly they're not going to let go of that any anytime soon. And I'm still waiting on Killer Instinct 4, damn it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Xbox is the only one that has the rights to Killer Instinct. So um Yeah, so I don't see yeah, I don't know. They could they could potentially bring all those games in. I just don't know how they're gonna run the tournament or how they're setting it up or anything. There hasn't been any real official announcements other than they're running it online. And that was really the only announcement. And I think dates. So. I guess we'll see. I'm in the boat of we will see. We always have to see. I know. I just think it's weird that Nintendo wouldn't be like, hey, this will be the last year we're going to be there instead of just pulling it away. <laughs> just Especially with all the controversy that's been going on with Nintendo this year, this past year. Like, I'm actually shocked by that. I have to say. 
But that was like one of the big questions. It didn't even take. It was literally the same day within like an hour of the announcement that Nintendo was like, yeah, nah, we're good, fam. (laughs) So. Yup, yup. All right. Um, More big news. Actually, I'm actually kind of excited about this because I kind of want to see how this works out, too. Is Marvel leaves Diamond for Penguin Random House. And Diamond, supposedly Diamond will still be able to, is still distributing the comics, but they have to buy directly from Penguin Random House now. So that means that your comics could end up in places like um, Barnes and Noble can be sold on Amazon now. Um, And you'll see them in like bookstores and stuff, I think. Where Diamond, you'll used to be the exclusive where you could the only place you can get your comics into comic shops. So this hurts Diamond, but. In all honesty, they were kind of shitty to the comic book industry, in my opinion, anyway. So that's just my opinion. Whenever you have a market cornering like that, that does end up happening. And with with Diamond, from what I've heard from several people who are comic book fans, it's like they were never a good company overall when it came to like the market at all. So like, again, when you've cornered the market and you're the only person, you're literally the one stop shop. You can be as much of a cock as you want to people, and it was only up until recently that any of the any of the companies had an alternative to choose at this point. And I guess Penguin just was like, "Fuck it, we'll take up, we'll take that up." And again, with the whole COVID thing and and the decline in comics overall that's been happening over the past like four or five years now, and I'll go six years because I feel like 2015 is about where things started to started to nosedive. I'm sure it started earlier, but that was the only that was when I started hearing about it. <clears throat> they yeah. um yeah, like the the peng- uh, diamond should have seen the writing on the wall when COVID happened. And as far as I knew, the original owner isn't he like fucking ancient at this point? Like he could just walk away from the business right now and be a happy person. Well, yeah, but I have a feeling this is more of like a Disney push than it was a diamond push. I have a feeling like this contract was coming up, and since Disney acquired all of marvel i'm like i'm almost positive this is a disney move because disney doesn't like being shoeholed into things and this is perfect for them so um so this is the letter that diamond sent out to retailers no no penguin random house i think who sent this out yeah penguin random house and marvel Hello, retailers. We hope you're staying safe and healthy. As you've likely heard by now, Penguin Random House is proud to be the executive worldwide distributor of Marvel's newly published and backlist comic books, trade collections, graphic novels to comic shops starting October 1st, 2021. We're thrilled to be your partners in continuing to grow with direct market and best serve your business. You no doubt have questions. We've created a comprehensive information kit that includes a detailed FAQ that covers a variety of topics, which you can find here. Um, we've also created a help section for the direct market or on our self-service site, and you can find the FAQ and ordering information there as well. We'd like to get all of you signed up for the Penguin Random House account, 
so you can continue ordering uh, ordering titles. The kit also includes information on ordering from Penguin Random House and our new account application so we get you set up. If you already have an account with Penguin Random House, thank you. You've been able to uh, you'll be able to begin ordering Marvel titles through the Biz Portal on May 26th for our uh, solicited titles going on sale after October 1st. For backlist titles or reorders, Penguin Random House will begin shipping October 1st, so please plan accordingly. If you have any order issues, please contact your customer service representative. For any additional sales questions, feel free to reach out to us. Here's the email. We look forward to working with you. Best, the U.S. Direct Sales Team. So, um, stores will still be able to order from Diamond, but Diamond will get the books from the distributor, Penguin Random House, instead of Marvel directly. So, yeah. They've literally opened up the competitive market. So there's really there's no reason to be buying other than convenience to be buying your Marvel comics from Diamond. And that's only if you can't get an order fulfilled through Penguin Random House themselves. So kind of like the um, how Magic used to do their direct order. You could get direct product from them. But if you didn't have enough, you could order from a distributor, which would also have some. Makes sense. Yeah. It just it creates more competition, in my opinion, which is great because Diamond Shoe hold the whole like you can you can only buy certain toys from them. You can only buy comics from them. You can only do this from them. Like it's yeah, I think it's going to be good for comics um, and for at least it'll be good for Penguin Rabbit and Random House and Marvel, in my opinion. So. Yeah, speaking of uh exclusivity I, I just realized something i completely forgot about it um uh do you guys remember the company harmony gold yes no the four, march 14th 2021 folks their fucking rights to robotech and all the associated robotech bullshit expired they no longer have the exclusivity to that fucking product so Dang. now finally fucking somebody can do something with that fucking IP that isn't that isn't going to have Harmony Gold jammed directly up their fucking posterior. Oh, if you, know, if you don't know Harmony Gold, Jason, they're uh, uh, they're a localization studio, and they made some of the most awful dubs of anime <laughs> of all time. It, look up Dragon Balls. Uh, uh, look at their dub of Dragon Ball, and you can understand just how fucking awful it was. <laughs> I mean, dude, you—they named Corn. They didn't even know the name of Corn, so they named him Whiskers the Wonder Cat. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, you have to be kidding, right? <laughs> no, look it up, dude. Oh my look god! Up Harmony Gold Dragon Ball. And look up the scene where uh, Goku uh, ends up at Kami's lookout and he meets uh, Korn for the first time. Jesus. And you'll you'll hear just how fucking awful it, it all is. It makes four kids look like a professional studio. You know I'm going to call him from now on Whiskers the Wonder Cat, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Most people do. Most people <laughs> fucking do. Hell, Team Four Star did that as a joke, as a reference in one of their episodes. Nice. <laughs> oh god, that's terrible. There's yeah. another there's been a lot of consolidating lately. So um 
not only Robotech, but like Fantasy Flight Games got moved their X-Wing to their uh, proper company. Nice. So Asmo, Asmo D is controlling um, all of the distribution and gaming stuff. So I'm wondering if they're trying to phase it out, but it makes it feel like Fantasy Flight is just lost another IP, in my opinion. A lot of a lot of X-Wing stuff has gone on like hard sales. Like people are just trying to get rid of the stuff now. So I'm wondering if they're trying to phase it out. That's odd. I thought it was a relatively popular uh, game. But Dude, I guess not. It was about to go into its like fourth edition. Weird. Yeah, I think the model. Maybe cool. they did. Maybe they did lose the lose access. Licensing's a bitch sometimes. Yeah, but why move it to Asmodee? Um, I mean, it's still a big company. They're just giving it to the parent company. I don't know. Makes no sense to me. I don't ask oh. questions about that kind of shit. But yeah, the Harmony Gold thing was, uh, I knew Orlando was going to jump up on that one. And uh, I mean, not that you really have any stake in it specifically, Jason. I mean, you know, that hor- that dead horse you were beating about the Robotech minifigures and fucking Palladium games, but that's a separate headache. Well, I guess supposedly there's another company putting out, the- I don't know what the hell's going on right now. I think Robotech's getting another revamp because there's a lot of people playing Robotech again. So I'm wondering if somebody picked up the rules. Or, well, I mean, with 3D printing on the rise, I could see people just making their own fucking minifigs and just going and doing their own shit. I think that's what's happening right now. But Palladium fucked fine everybody on that deal. Fine, fucking fine by me, dude. I'm glad somebody took up the gauntlet. Yeah, I mean, what was the other game? Not Robotech. Um, Mech, is it Mech Warrior? Yeah, I believe so. Or Battletech. Battletech. Yeah, completely different game, but, uh, I mean, people get to mix up all the time, myself included. Yeah. Yeah, people still play Battletech, so... I don't know. It is what it is. That's so weird. Like, all these companies are, like, smushing everything together. <laughs> smushing together, finally giving up their giving up the ghosts on their fucking licensing rights. Like, I, like seriously, the Harmony Gold thing is, is like, a particular... Uh, like sore point for a lot of Robotech fans because Harmony Gold, it was an absolute fucking hard ass about their property rights to that shit. And they made sure that every opportunity to create something that was good and, and wonderful for the Robotech franchise was absolutely fucking stopped in its tracks. Any chance they could, they were so goddamn sue happy. It was mildly upsetting. If you were watching the whole thing play out, I'll, I'll find a link to a, a YouTube video that explained their insanity. It's just like, finally, finally, they don't have any fucking rights to that shit, and somebody else can take it up and do something of value with it. Okay, so Harmony Gold is an American film and television production company that was founded in 1983 by an Egyptian-born Frank Agrama and is managed by his daughter, Jahan? I don't know. I can't. I don't speak that language. Uh, in 1976, See, that was gonna get us canceled because we have poor pronunciation of foreign names, dude. Any name? <laughs> Were you here when I totally butchered the whole like group of screen names for that one fucking uh, FGCCOC thing? Uh, when when was that? The week I was a uh, fucking asleep. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You've been asleep the whole time. This is just a dream. <laughs> 
Oh man! In 1976, Agrama sold broadcast rights from Paramount Pictures to the MediaSet Media conglomerate. Uh, it is best known for the distribution of the controversial Shaka Zulu uh, miniseries and for various anime series, notably Robotech. So, uh, the company worked closely with Inner Sound, a Los Angeles-based post-production recording studio managed by Frank Sun. Uh, Ahmed Agrama, and they were responsible for partially dubbing Dragon Ball, Magical Princess Minky Momo, and Dr. Slump. What the fuck name is that? Magical Princess Minky Momo? Oh, whatever. <laughs> old school, old school anime, man. Oh, fuck anime. my life. I'm surprised you didn't go nuts over Dr. Slump. No, I, I don't know. Before that going. Was, oh, they that went was out. Akira work before he worked on Dragon Ball. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm not a big um, Toriyama fan. I mean, I like Dragon Ball, and I like all of Dragon Ball, but I don't, like, I never really sought out the rest of his work. So. Oh, you, you, know the, you, you know the little girl, O'Reilly? Yeah. She's from Dr. Slump. She's the main character there. Oh, okay. Cool. Maybe look into it. <laughs> so they went out of business in 2006. In addition to the distribution and production interest harmony gold manages several real estate properties in southern california area they also operate a screen room in los angeles so they just bought the rights when it went out of business in 2006 and essentially they bought it for they had the rights for it for quite a bit of time and it just expired they don't have the money to buy to renew the rights so so in 2006, they partnered with Funimation to release an American-produced Robotech The Shadow Chronicles on home video. Um, yeah, fuck this. This is just too much shit here. <laughs> they had a ton of... Dude, they have a ton of legal shit. Like San yep. Diego... They went after Hasbro and San Diego Comic-Con. Um, they took... Wait, they took... Hasbro, San Diego Comic Con 2013, exclusive stuff, G.I. Joe and the Transformers, the epic conclusion, violated their copyright license and trademark on the animated Japanese Macross TV series. The fuck? Dude, okay, yeah, no, fuck this company. <laughs> oh, they have a lot more titles. So their flagship animation is Robotech and all the Robotech, but they have a bunch of stuff. First yeah. five episodes, first five episodes of Dragon Ball in movies one and three. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I'm telling you, after the show's over, go and listen to it and you'll fucking flip over and laugh like idiots. They did the they did the Adventures of Renton Tin, the remastered version. Yep. All right. All right. Still, I think they're a garbage company after reading all that shit. That makes no sense. Uh, whatever. I'm surprised hence, they didn't go after Battletech. <laughs> hence the jubilation. Right. <laughs> Speaking of getting canceled, <laughs> do you want to oh, fucking joy? Do we want to talk about the D and D author <laughs> that didn't that wants to come off of the uh, uh, what was it? Fuck. Drew, what's the name of the book that just came out? 
I don't know off the top of my head, sorry. <laughs> Fuck my life. D&D books 2021. <laughs> Yay, Candlekeep Mysteries. There we go. Oh, so um there's been some issues with Candlekeep Mysteries uh, since it came out, and I can see both sides of it. Um, but I think it's dumb. I don't know. Okay, so here's the issue. There's a writer um, that wrote... It's a freelance writer. A lot of the D&D stuff is done by freelance writers. They're not actually company people. Um, it's their way of not organizing and having have somebody on payroll they just kind of write for you and then you pay them for their work um which brings up a whole nother mess because they should technically have their own writing team instead of hiring random freelance writers anyway so there's a writer he wrote a whole look can't keep mysteries is a bunch of one shots uh at least that's kind of what i'm getting out of this and each writer wrote their own kind of like world so there's a writer that wrote this world, a whole extensive universe. And um, what happened was it got to the editor. It went back and forth. And then <laughs> Wizards is like, hey, can you go promote this? And then the guy answered all these questions and then found out later that everything he was answering was never published. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of argument about wording that was used. So it got the whole SJW treatment, supposedly, quote unquote. It took out like the colonizer thing, but then it used words like primitive and basically the editors at Wizards fucked everything up and both sides hate each other. <laughs> and they're like, Wizards is going in the wrong direction after <laughs> the writer wrote something that was kind of that should have fit in like perfectly and everyone would have been happy. It's it's just a giant fucking mess right now. So, so from what I heard, the they com they completely took uh, the Yuan-Ti and just made them a, a tyrannical uh, species all the way around. Even though there were factions originally written for them, uh, there was an amphibious uh, group that actually had a vibrant uh, culture and society. They downgraded them into a mud hut, fucking primitive to society against the fucking writer's will. They literally fist fucked the entire fucking narrative that the guy wrote uh, that the person wrote for them. I don't know if it's a guy. I'm not going to assume, but yeah, yeah it's like they, they went out of their way to absolutely blast and destroy everything that this person created from fucking range. And it's kind of sad to look at that. Yeah. The worst part is, is they asked him to do like promo for it and none of his shit was in there. Like, and then now he's saying, I, I don't want my name anywhere near this after the book's already been published. I don't blame the guy. I'm mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fess up to writing that shit either. <laughs> Hello. Well, considering the direction <laughs> Watsy's been going with everything else, this is just another fucking blemish on their fucking face when it comes to D and D. <clears throat> As far as MTG is concerned, they've been given they, they've they've ascended to an actual branch of uh, Hasbro, which is fucking baffling to me because if if the objective uh, was for uh, the, their fucking fans to hate them, they're doing a damn good job of that. 
But from what <laughs> I've heard from, because uh, I've talked, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've heard Perp talk about this a couple of times. He stated that the uh, the business model for uh, Wizards of the Coast has changed dramatically over the course of the past like five to ten years. They've basically just realized that they're going to have a two-year turnover for customers. A customer is only going to have a shelf life of two years before they step away from the game. And it's basically carte blanche for them to start making and doing the dumbest shit possible with their fucking intellectual properties. Which is, I mean, for MTG especially, that's kind of dumb because there's a lot of diehard people who've been playing this game since the, da the damn thing came out long before a lot of the people who are working the company now probably even have any had anything to do with the company at that point. So it's just combining all of those things. It's like, how the hell can they look at this and be successful? And it's just like, because all of the goddamn whales have literally been propping their company up so high that they that Hasbro is literally looking at them as their goddamn uh, pro their profit leader, which is just fucking amazing to me. <laughs> Abolish the reserve list. <laughs> Aside from that insanity, no, cripple, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't waste my time with that. Cri cripple the market and then let all of them leave and then see who stays. <laughs> Essentially, and that's that's literally the way it looks like. To any, especially to anybody who's watching this all play out like especially because the amount of people who for every like one or two people who have youtube channels where they're like wizard does good things and here's all the good stuff there are like two or three that are going why is arena difficult to get into why the fuck would they have gone out of their way to make this make this game as unapproachable as humanly possible because again when, when they, they've they've changed focus to the point where they're really only giving a shit about one or two formats, mm -hmm. and they've completely ignored standard, which is where the majority of people walk into the game. They're trying to make Commander that way, but it's Commander was wasn't created by them. They merely took over the the reins of it, so to speak. I, I don't actually... I don't think the Commander Rules Committee has any fucking say. I think they're a fucking they're a pu they're a Joke. puppet government, so to speak, that was taken yeah. over by wizards when wizards decided that it was lucrative to, for them for them to take over they these people are all figureheads who are given promos to keep quiet and pretend like they have any significant fucking value to the game that's my statement especially with what happened with the walking dead i have no reason to believe that those people have any real authority nor do i give a shit about what they have to say fair enough man yeah honestly like with the strixhaven baffles me there's some cool things, but then, like, the more I look at it, dude, it's like night and day from Kaldheim. It's like, how did you go from, th what is it, uh, Throne of Eldrain? No, no, not Throne of Eldrain. Zendikar Rising into, yeah, Throne of Eldrain, Zendikar Rising into Kaldheim, and then you show up in Strixhaven. Like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like, it's like night and day from, like, Strixhaven to Kaldheim. Well, I mean, you missed Theros Beyond Death in there, too. But anyway. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so Theros Beyond yeah. Death was cool. But, like, still, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it still doesn't... Strixhaven is completely different from any other sets that came before it. Well, not only that, but they fucked with the color pie in Strixhaven now, where all of the original colors that were associated with the guilds, like, they have completely different purposes now. Like, 
the 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 fucking what was Golgari before is now uh, what is it called uh, like Witherbloom or something? Yeah, and they have, and they deal in uh, the same thing that Orzov was dealing with. It's like it's green and black. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, it's uh, oh, man, I don't know how to explain it because no, no matter so with this rotation because it's still this is the next set and it's still standard legal. How are you like you have to shift? whatever decks you were using you everything has to shift now like you can't you can't use the same tactic use adding on the set and just add cards to it and phase other ones out you literally have to shift the whole focus of decks it's literally it's you're you're basically restarting the standard the standard block without restarting the standard block in in the summertime when like 2022 would be released so one of the things that uh, people theorize is well, they're getting to the point now where there's going to be a step down set, and it lo- and, and most people are thinking Strixhaven is going to be the po- step down, meaning they're going to power they're going to have a power down set that's not going to be anywhere near as powerful as the previous like three or four sets that like, were that came before it. Like Theros, uh, was? Kamigawa was well, Kamigawa was that was that block before, um, and. It looks like this is going to be the case going forward for this. At least that's what I'm seeing, because none of the cards seem particularly powerful, and even the lesson and uh, class mechanic or learn mechanic don't seem all that like overpowered versus a lot of the other shit that had come before it. So, so I don't even find think a even a lot, of the, a lot of the mythics look all that exciting. No, there's a few. There's a few where I'm like. The the one wizard that can copy spells, but like other than that, um, I'm not too. Th- I'm more thrilled about the extra shit than I am about the cards in the set. Well, I mean the 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 five command. We're hitting the five commander decks this time, so the reprints are what people are going to be looking towards, and I think the majority of the hype is going to end up being in whatever they reprint in the commander decks, which hopefully is going to be some cool lands, maybe some, you know, chase uh, rares or mythics. Um, that's what I'm hoping for. Like the commanders themselves are very much meh. Uh, apparently they are not doing regular foiling for these cards. They are doing the, the, the command, the pre-con commanders are going to be etched this time. Fantastic. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not no fooling. Like, my binder will be quite happy with, uh, you know, having a few etched ones and a sea of all the bent fucking Pringles that are in there right now. Yeah, I double. Oh, 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 <laughs> I found the coolest thing ever. OK, so if you're not a cigar smoker, you don't know about this product. Um, but if you are a cigar po- like smoker or aficionado, you you have these laying around your house because you put them in your humidor. So they have these um, Bovita packs, and what they are is they're uh, packs that keep the humidity at a certain percentage for the cigars. So, like, you can buy them for 65%, 70%. Um, I like to keep mine between 65 and 70 at least my cigars. I saw a guy take one of these packs, take one of those large, um, like, clamshell things. I keep all my tokens in one of these. Took all of his... Um, uh, Pringled cards, foils, put them in there. Put the Bovita pack, a 65% humidity pack, on top of it, which weighs about 60 grams, so it says. Laid it on top of the cards, closed the lid, and left them in there overnight. Guess what they did? 
They flattened, I'd imagine. They flattened. So the theory is, is the reason these cards are pringling like the way they are is because the back half of the card has become so dried out that it's literally like bending itself. It's bending itself because it doesn't have the moisture. So you literally have to re-moisturize the back of the fucking foil to flatten it out. That is the dumbest fucking bullshit I have ever fucking heard in my life. Those both, you basically have to store them in a humidor. That's the only way to flatten them out at this point. And here's the shitty part about that. Those Bovita packs, they're not cheap. This isn't something that you should be doing like on a regular basis. Like if you have one laying around, okay, use it, but they're not cheap. <laughs> like they're good for like three, four months. But if you keep opening them up and like drying the fucking pack out, like it's not going to, it's not going to help you. <laughs> Unless you're a hardcore collector and you need them to be in pristine condition for sales. I see no reason to waste your fucking money on that. Yeah. But then buy, like, buy yourself a, like, like a, a large humidor, like a cig- large cigar humidor and store your shit on the shelves in that. You know what I mean? Like, if that's if that's how serious you're going to be about it, then do it that way. Like, well, yeah, I mean, if you're already in for a penny, you're going to be in for a pound. So spend the fucking money and get a humidor. Exactly. But if you're playing like there's a reason that that Watsi ended up uh, uh, easing up restrictions on bent cards in tournaments because they knew it was infeasible for them to. Uh, be able to police that and there'd be too many people who would be pissed off who were going to these tournaments who let's say you foiled out your deck or you you, or you had a couple of foils in your deck it's nearly impossible for you to be able to not have them bend unless you're double or triple sleeving the fucking things to keep them straight and they'd be be considered marked cards I double double sleeve all my cards I, well, all my decks. Anytime I play with a deck, I double sleeve them. You are fucking crazy. Why? But, I thought I always did it for. I did. I even did it for standard. You know how easy it was for me to still flip that card because I took good care of my shit. Like I don't like bend shuffle. I don't do anything like that. And it's it's literally to preserve the price of the card because afterwards I can get rid of a lot of the stuff. I've never had any kind of profit loss on any of my cards if I traded them in. And I single sleeved all of my decks. I get B- yeah. good quality BCW sleeves, and I only single sleeve them because I'm not spending twice the amount to sleeve a hundred card deck. I don't have a lot of standard decks, so like the the the, the seventy five issue that you have is not the seventy five issue I have. I have a hundred cards that I have to put in sleeves, and I ain't double sleeving them unless it's a goddamn CEDH deck, and most of the cards in there are worth more than worth more than my fucking left testicle. That's the only I, reason I'm I double sleeving. And I don't have any, yeah. so... I'm double-sleeving everything. The only game I never double-sleeved in, probably two games I never double-sleeved in, are going to be Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon. But everything else, every other game I've played, I've double-sleeved in. How about you, Orlando? What's your rule on sleeving? Sleeving? Not sleeping. I don't really have not sleeping. to work with. Sleeving. I mean, I don't mind <laughs> sleeves. It's not a big issue for me. It's just, I don't really think it's a huge deal over it either. It's like... Leave the damn things if you want or don't. At this point, they're your fucking cards. It's how you want to properly take care of them or not. If you want to have yeah. them in less than a banged up way about it, go ahead. If you want them in pristine condition, go ahead and do that too. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. Oh, yeah. They are your cards. <laughs> exactly. At no, the end I of the day, there are your cards. I, I get it. But for me, it seems overkill. 
and I've been playing the game since the dark. And I've been playing since I was playing unsleeved cards on on fucking concrete, that level of MTG. <laughs> yep, me too. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I was a kid, um, I used I had very few, if any, uh, uh, playing cards to play with. And amongst the games that I would play would be Yu-Gi-Oh! alongside my siblings. Uh, we didn't have sleeves for our cards at all. And uh, our cards got mangled up and uh, and crumpled up over time. Uh, yeah. So you would think that I would be more toward leaning towards the uh, the sleeves and have and you know go for that overprotection if not whatnot. But as I got older, it was more on the ground. It, it led to more on the well, I can always just buy more of these things. And uh yeah, kind of I think the only reason the problem for me. I think the <laughs> only reason I started sleeving was because a lot of tournaments want you to sleeve because if there's a nick on the back of the card, it can be considered marked and that was like I think that's the only reason I started sleeving. The problem is you could do the same thing with the sleeve as well. Yeah, but it's less noticeable, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's for me. Like, I didn't start sleeving my decks. I think until, like, just before my first LGS closed down, and that was that was when uh, Ultra Pro first started putting out like the clear sleeves, and Dragon Shield was was getting their was getting their bearings, and it was like because of the way I shuffled, like those things didn't last very long. Like now, yeah. like I have decks that I've had for like a couple of years now and there's the, the sleeves are still in pristine condition because I keep everything pretty much sealed up. I don't really put them anywhere to unkempt and I keep them in a, in a place that's relatively climate controlled. Obviously the foils are just going to be fucked regardless, but like the normal cards and stuff are pretty decently well kept and I've never had any like major damage to anything. And I always have backup sleeves for the majority of the BCW stuff because they're pretty universal. So yeah. Again, it's really like like Orlando said. It's based on what your on on what your needs are and how you want to preserve them. Honestly, when when I see videos like that that talk about like double and triple sleeving and then stuff like that, it just for me, it, for me personally, it's again, it's my personal opinion. If you get a good enough quality sleeve on the front, unless the card is like a two hundred and fifty dollar card that you probably shouldn't even have out in, out in the air anyways because it's going to disintegrate. You should be probably having those things graded and sealed at that point. Um, there, there are other issues at that point. I think I can only agree with that if you actually did purchase the card for that kind of money. If you bought it, if you got it off as a random pull in a, in a card pack, you basically paid fuck all for the damn thing. And it really <laughs> isn't really as a valuable as it, yeah, as it is on the secondary market. Very true. Don't, don't tell Drew that. <laughs> don't tell him that. <laughs> what? I just agreed with him, asshole. What do you want? Well, I don't think he wanted you to agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, Drew saw what I pulled today. <laughs> don't tell him that. I got mine on fractions of the dollar. 
See, there you go, dude. I am never going to argue with someone who pulls that out of his ass. But you have yet to open a time spiral pack, so I don't feel I'm not shedding a single tear for you. Oh, can you imagine what happened? What would happen if I opened a time spiral pack? With the way I've been pulling lately, I'll pull like I'll pull everything in one pack. I'll get some strange pack. The most expensive card in time spiral at the moment uh is in foil and it is a foil thought seize which is a 700 dollar card son of a bitch yep <laughs> i drew 250 dollars cards today lando <laughs> are you selling them uh one of them i might because i have two of them <laughs> I don't need two of them. Until you actually sell them, they're not really worth that money, are they? True. Oh! But... that That's how... Dude, I've seen a person who used to have a tournament edition Cyberstein that back in the day was worth $5,000. He never Damn. sold it. It doesn't matter how much money it might be worth on the secondary market. If you don't sell it, it ain't worth jack and shit. Oh, I'll put it up right now. I have no. <laughs> if it's fine, but remember, <laughs> that's the whole point. That's how the market is. It depends on how the value of the card depends on how much people are willing to pay for it. But if you buy it off on a, if you buy it from the primary market and you don't do anything with it, then it's only as valuable as how much you spent for the card pack that had you that had you pull it out. Like right now, as I pulled out tonight, I pulled a, oh, I pulled another of that uh, uh, Ancient Warriors Rebellious Lu Fung card from the latest booster pack, and that card normally costs like two, three dollars as a super rare, but until I sell it, it's not worth even that. So I'm looking at uh, recent eBay listings. Just yesterday, one of these sold for one fifty. So yeah, yep. I, I don't think I'm gonna have a problem moving this. <laughs> oh no, we're not worried about that. But he's yeah. not—he's not wrong. Yeah, in the it's term, true. In the point of stasis, it, as a constant in your collection, it is only worth anything when you sell it. Right. As it stands, if you get—if you get it lost in a fucking flood, it's cardboard. Unless you can get your insurance company to oh, pay yeah. your ass Fuck. for it, it ain't worth no. anything. My insurance company is definitely paying for this. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I have. <laughs> there's a reason. There's a reason I keep. I keep a record of everything I have and how much it costs. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Imagine them looking at your fucking list and I'm like, okay, a Pikachu card I have, for $500? It's 400 But um, so I have... <laughs> They'll be like, what person in the world would buy a piece of cardboard for $400? Yeah. So the... Uh, I was just talking to Drew before we started the podcast. In my binder, currently, I have over two thousand dollars worth of cards on the secondary market. <laughs> so, and that's just starting. When did I start buying boxes? War of the Spark. So from yeah, you bought War of the Spark and um, Modern Horizons. Yeah. So from War of the Spark till now, that's what. Uh, I didn't buy any Eldrain. You bought uh, Corset, if I recall. You bought one box of that. Yeah, I bought Corset twenty twenty. Uh, War of the Spark. I didn't collect anything else after that. Modern Horizons. I bought some um 
uh, modern, not modern, um, Commander Legends. And then I started, by, I bought two Kaldheim boxes, and that's it. And a bunch of Jumpstart and Battle Bond that I've randomly found. But I'm not into it like some some other people are. Like, compared to Drew, my collection's nothing. <laughs> but what I have in a short period of time is good shit. So... Hey man, like I said, kudos to you. I'm I'm glad that you got. I'm glad you pulled that stuff because it'll help you, especially Build, because the yeah. way that you 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 are in your hobbies, you use the hobbies that you have to pay for themselves. So right. Like, that's why I say with, I'm like, gonna sell the one. Hammer, you you do commissions and you sell them. So like you make the money back, you need to be able to continue you know purchasing through that without spending too much extra real cash. And right. with this, you can take everything that you just got which is literally you made $150 in profit over that when you actually sell it. And you can turn that around and turn it into more MTG stuff if you want to, as long as you're willing to do the legwork. No, exactly. Which I don't have a problem doing because it's easy enough for me because I, I would just sell it through TCG player. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, yeah, because you, you still have your account and you can do that kind of shit. Right, exactly. So I would just sell it through TCG player, take, the, take a little bit of the cut um, that they take, which I think is like a dollar or two. Um, I lose another dollar on shipping it. Uh, I would take insurance. So that'd be another like dollar 50 on it or two bucks. So in all, in all honesty, I'm still making 140 bucks on it. If you count like the fee and shipping with insurance, because you know, damn well, I ain't losing that card in the mail to some bullshit asshole going, I never got it. Like I have tracking on it and I have insurance. Don't bullshit me. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. I'm not an idiot. I've been selling shit forever. Like, I know how to fucking win disputes and shit like that. You're, you're not taking my money from me. So, <laughs> fucking cocksuckers. I swear to God. There's always one. Oh, no. The, the, the <laughs> people, who, people, who talk, people who talk about that kind of shit always talk about the, the you know, for every for the 60 to 70% of the people who are good customers, there's still that uh, 35 to 40 who are absolute fucking cock cock holsters. Yep. yep. Yeah, I'm 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 under I'm understanding on that one. I but think yeah, anytime looping, I've... Like, looping back to strict strict saving as a set, like I don't know. I'm if I, I buy anything, to... I might buy a pre-release <laughs> kit for it because like the singles are probably gonna be dirt fucking cheap. So I do I do want to talk but, something else and to just to get Orlando involved a little bit too. Is the um so obviously we know about the extra card, the extra sheet cards, um, with the different they're doing a, a more like elaborate mosaic style whatever to it. Um <laughs> well, the mystical archive card and every pack is going to fucking have it. Yep, every you're you're bound to get one. And there's a few cards that I actually like that are really cool with this, so I'm like kind of excited about it. But at the same time, like this one card, one card has been getting so much shit lately, and it turned into a political thing. <laughs> and god damn it if I don't talk about this. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay, by yeah. all means, explain. So, um this Twitter thread got started by a person who writes articles for TCG player. It's Cassie wants to go to the moon is her fucking name. Cassie Celeste. She's a writer for TCG player. Um, you know, she, her friend essayist, I don't know, socialist and trans lesbian geek girl. 
um, in her Twitter profile. So this is how she starts off the threat. Okay, first off, if you've seen any of these spoilers, Faithless Looting is the one that sticks out the most because it's the most obnoxious looking card. This card is just ugly. And it's this is part of the problem. So they're mixing like this real life with cartoon look to it. It's almost got this like Mortal Kombat when Mortal Kombat first started type look to it. I don't know. It's obnoxious looking. So <laughs> they've tried this in the past with a couple other cards, but this is just extra like over the top obnoxious. I just don't like this card. It just looks wrong. The card itself is cool. I just do not like it. <laughs> so everyone's saying they feel bad for the, uh, the artist because they're going to get bullied and stuff. So let's start out this Twitter thread. Can we talk about this massive undercut uh, undercurrent of transphobia I've seen in the MTG community today over this piece of card art? <laughs> There's an entire thread calling it revolting and it's not just about mixed media aesthetic. It's about GNC look uh, of the subject. <laughs> so basically, if you don't like the way this looks, you're transphobic. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. hold on it gets worse of course it does you don't Why have to it? you don't have to like the art it's clearly designed to be challenging in ways that won't vibe with everyone but there's so much dog whistle transphobia out there about it it makes me feel ill i'm like what the fuck so <laughs> i dug a little deeper apparently this is supposed to be a guy wearing a dress it's supposed to be like a trans person. Like when you look at like the full art of everything and <laughs> that is not what I thought of when I saw this, I looked at it like what the fuck happened to this card and who let the art department let this go through. <laughs> so she goes on in another thread. So she goes, since I was asked to expand on this in my DMS, I wanted to post my response to others. Um, we're curious of why this conversation bothered me. So this is what this is what she said. There are two things that are bothering people about the art. One is the aesthetic juxtaposition of blocky MS paint style art object mixed with a stylized background and what um, photo and a photorealistic person. If you can get the image in your head, just we'll post it to the website. The the card looks obnoxious. So uh, not the website, the Facebook page. Sorry, we don't have a website yet. Uh, it's denied to be jarring in, in, uncomfortable, in an uncomfortable way. The other is the fact that the image appears to be a man wearing a low-cut dress that is also designed to be jarring in a way that makes some people feel uncomfortable because this type of gender presentation transgresses social norms. That is not what it fucking looks like. Like, I had no clue it was a dude in a dress. Like, what the fuck? A lot of this discussion is getting blurred right now. Some people are just straight up commenting uh, on the second thing in loathsome ways while others are using language of visceral uh, revulsion in ways where it's hard to tell if that if what bothers them about the piece. I'm more I'm sure most of them are well-meaning. But from my seat, it's hard to give people the benefit of the doubt on the on that because, well, the stakes are high and we've all seen the hotel what and we've all been in this been to this hotel been to his hotel before what the fuck <laughs> i don't that sentence makes no sense so i think it's probably what they're trying to say we've yeah. all been, seen this happen before 
Yeah, so I think it's important to clear about what the uh, about why the art bothers you if it does, and to avoid using words like loathe, reviled, etc. Dude, the fucking card is ugly. Just straight ugly. <laughs> it has nothing to do with if, even if it is a trans person on the fucking card, it has nothing to do with that. Like <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> oh, I can't get over how ugly this card is. <laughs> But now you're now you're transphobic if you think it's disgusting. Because if you say that, disgusting or revolting. Well, because nowadays you have to love every single bit about a specific group, no matter what it is, or you're an istophobe. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Okay, okay. Somebody actually put two there's two cards in this that are right next to each other. Um Oh, oh my god. So, okay, so there's another card next to it. So, I actually like the other one. Harmonize? Harmonize actually looks pretty decent. And it's done in the same way, and it's supposed to be, that's supposed to be a female, because it has long hair. But, like... Oh my god. Faceless, there's just something wrong with faceless looting. Faithless looting. There's just something wrong with it. I just, oh, I don't get it. There, there's too much going on. There's just literally too much going on. And then the other card doesn't have really anything going on. It looks like somebody sitting in front of a forest with the same art design, where the other one has, a, has like this cartoony-looking staff, a fire, mountains, him holding a bowl. There's just too much going on in the, other, in the Faithless Looting, where the other one is literally just somebody sitting there with some cartoon rocks around them. I don't know. I'll post both of them. You guys can decide, but fuck, fuck me if I'm going to be called homophobic because I don't like the art of a card. Look, if I draw Faithless Looting, I don't need it. And if I get the one that looks like that, I'm getting rid of it. Like, I'll trade it for an actual Faithless Looting at that point because I just don't like the art on the card. Like, if you don't like the art, you don't like the art. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. Like, why does it have to be some political stance? <sighs> because... Everything is political, my dear boy, no matter what, which means even art itself, no matter how ridiculous it might be, must be political. And therefore, it has a message that you want to speak out that happens to reflect you at all times. And if it's anything that they disagree with, then it's obviously that you're the problem. Well, okay, so this art showcase card thing that they're doing is there's a there's a lot of them like a lot of them and they've been spoiled for the most part already um okay we'll go to mtg spoilers no mtg spoilers is not where i wanted to go i wanted to go to mythic there we go so um we kind of talked about this before. Like, there's really nothing in this set that like stands out like crazy. Um, there's a few good things, but well, did they release? A, they released the lands. Okay, so they released the lands. I didn't see that before. The dual lands. Um. So that's new. Okay. So it's a bunch of reprint of cards. That's what it is. So Tainted Pact, um, Grape Shot, Divine Gambit. Some of these look really fucking cool. 
and some of them just look terrible. Like, um, I think Opt was one of them I didn't like, but I liked the Opt from the Japanese version. So that was cool. Like, I don't like Mind's Desire. It's just, you have to look at these cards. Like, some of them are cool and artistic, and some of them are like, what the fuck were you thinking? Like, the Demonic Tutor, yeah, it's a Demonic Tutor, so I'm going to like it, but I definitely like the Japanese Demonic Tutor better than the one in English, by far. <laughs> just like the Swords of Plowshare and the Opt, like, I like those better than the ones in English. But it's not like... I don't know. Like, all of a sudden, like, now, am I, am I like, fucking... Am I transphobic because I don't like fucking Defiant Strike? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, why? Like, I just don't like the art. <laughs> but why don't you like the art? Because I don't think it looks cool. <laughs> like, why do you not think it looks cool? Because it's not appealing to me. That's It's all preference. Not, what about it? Does it not? Do you not find it appealing? Okay, so Defiant Strike, it's just it's like a, a line with like a dude in light with like sparkles. And it looks like it's killing a bunch of stuff like it, it, it. There's nothing there to really look at. There's nothing to draw your eye into it. It just looks like someone took a line, just drew a line across the fucking card, like painted a line across the card where cards like Dark Ritual look like a dude casting a spell with like it's it looks cool. It just looks cool. <laughs> OK, I mean, yeah, I, I, I want you to understand that. All these questions that I just asked is solely because the people who um they would have they're hoping that you will answer something along the lines of because he's a man in a dress. No, there's just too much going on in that card. Like that art style does not fit with like that realistic person look. It's just I, the, there's just too much going on on that card. That's fine, but that's why they would call you transphobic. Because yeah. they're hoping that deep down you really just have a problem with the man in the dress. No. Where <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I don't care who anybody dresses like. Or the fuck. And that's, I... <laughs> and, yeah. and that's fine. But that's again, that's the whole point. They're hoping that that's the answer you will eventually resort to, and therefore be like, "Well, see, there's your there's your transphobia right there." But when in reality, people can have legitimate, genuine problems but if you, with a fucking piece of art, and it has nothing to do with transphobia whatsoever. But even if you even if you took that card and compared it to another card in this mystical archive set that's supposed to be in every pack, that card is by far the worst art than any of the other cards in here. Okay, maybe not the worst, but pretty fucking close to the bottom. I'll put it that way. I, they, they were supposed to be cool cars to draw your attention and that car just missed the mark. And there's a, there's another Japanese one that looks fucking weird. But. Yeah, that one just missed the mark. There's just too much going on in that art and it just it doesn't fit with the rest of the art styles. That are in this set. That's my opinion. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And then you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> Oh, hey, hold, hold on, hold on. That's until after the end of the show. I'll yeah. tell do it now. <laughs> Should I let you fall asleep first? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a cue to end the show for tonight. <laughs> Drew, did they release these lands or are these new? 
I think they're new. I don't remember seeing these lands. All of them. Okay. The what the show the new show lands. Yeah, those aren't released yet. Those are part of the the Strixhaven group. Yeah, if you have a planes, it comes in, or whatever the type is. No, you have to, you have to show either a planes or whatever the other one is. They're oh. called showlands because they came out in Innistrad, and you basically have to show prove that you have one of the basic lands in your hand for it to come into play on tap. A lot of pro players hate it because then it reveals information that to people that you actually have what what cards you have in your hand. It's just like okay, sure. Yeah, I can see I can see that. But yeah, these weren't on the on the list, I don't think, the other day. I kinda like the Deans. The Deans seem kinda cool. Eh. The the, the all the modal cards are very much meh to me. Yeah. There's not like I said, there's nothing in this set that really like blows me out of the water. I do like the colorless lessons though. Like introduction be, to introduction in, to prophecy uh, is cool. Thing in uh, arena, definitely keep an eye on what they do to the arena format. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Like the one, this one, introduction to prophecy. That one is going to be in a lot of decks. I feel. Scry two, then draw a card for three mana. Uh it's a little yeah. overpriced, honestly. For three mana, yeah, it's a little overpriced. The thing is, with a lot of the lessons, they're colorless, so any deck can run them. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be the value for a lot of people. They cost a little more than your standard sideboard cards, but they will allow you to basically have a Swiss Army knife sideboard that you can call upon, and with especially with the with with, with learn, and just pull whatever you need at that point for whatever situation. It's basically, to me, it's streamlining the the. Uh, the sideboard process, uh, especially in one V one where that actually would be where, where, well, not one, but not one V one. Um, yeah, you could in standard, that kind of stuff would be very useful. You could, you could win the game mid game instead of having to struggle through a round to play the next round with sideboard cards. Yep. Have it as you want. And they've been yeah. experimenting with that with a lot of cards in the past, like few sets, like there's, like there's a card in El Throne of Eldraine that lets you go pull a card from your sideboard. Uh, I believe Karn allows you to go and get something from your sideboard. So and and the and uh, the the wishes in eternal formats they allow you to pull things from your sideboard. So this isn't an uncommon ability. It's just more much. It seems much more streamlined because you actually have to go and pull a card that is a, su a subtype lesson to be able to grab it. Cards look interesting, but uh, otherwise, overall, like the set's very much a mediocre experience for me. So yeah. if it adds a little bit of versatility to the game, cool. But like the the power there is definitely not there. And maybe that's on me, or maybe they just are depowering the game in this set, and that's the situation. Well, we'll know more as more cards get released. It's not this isn't the full release of stuff yet. So. No, we got a few more weeks before that before that happens, and I believe the pre-release is like the second week in April. So. Yeah. I don't know. I might I might put in my pre-order for the commander decks, but I'm I'm not interested in a box of Strixhaven unless something really wows me. I mean, I mean the value is in it. But the value is in it for the myst for the mystical archive cards. Yeah. But even that, I don't know if that 
if the, if they're putting all of their eggs in one basket with mystical archive cards and they're on and they're gutting standard it, it's going to create a weird kind of dissonance between the standard players and anybody who's playing in the eternal formats because the etern- people who are ripping who are going to be ripping them for eternal cards uh the, the as far as like the odds for getting like some of the more powerful cards in there or if you're opening the set boosters or the collector's boosters the japanese alternate art cards it's going to be really rare for that kind of, or like extremely rare for that to go in, but I don't know who knows the set's not out yet. And like the odds and stuff aren't really, you know, yeah. panned out just yet. Un- unless you're me, then it's a 50% pull rate. <laughs> I mean, sure. We'll go with that. I mean, if you could, like you said, you're just going to buy a Japanese booster box and get it out of the way anyways. Yeah. I was thinking about it doing it. Honestly, like this might be a set. I get a collector's box in just, just for the collector box part of it. Cause getting a foil of one of these, uh, mythical archive cards wouldn't be a bad idea. So, eh, who knows? We'll see. I'll look at prices. I won't forget this time, like fucking time spiral. Anyway, we got anything else on the docket, or was that it for today? Uh, I think we're all here. Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> About where we need to be here. All right, fantastic. All right. Thanks for listening to another Angry Wargamer podcast. You can catch us on the social medias, Angry Wargamer podcast, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and obviously the Podbean. We do have the Patreon still, patreon.com slash Angry Wargamer. And then obviously Drew and Lando, you can find them at Punk Toast on Twitter and Ragnarok Knight on Twitter. So, yep. Thanks for listening again. Stay tuned for another episode next week. And then remember, stay sexy and go fuck yourselves.